All right, if you haven't opened your Bible, please do that to Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's a pew Bible in front of you. I don't know what page it is. Anybody? Anybody there? 977. 977. That's where it is. That's where we'll be camped out. Ephesians 3, we're going to be looking at 14 through 21 today. So, if you've been here for the last several weeks, you'll know that we're walking through the book of Ephesians, a letter written by Paul um, to churches around a city called Ephesus. And, and what we've seen is there's a plan of God that he is working out in this world. And as, as Paul has been expounding that reality, he has talked about the, the greatness of God's glory and grace in, in our hearts and lives and in this world, that he has, he has made us alive together with Christ, that he has united us together. And so then last week, in the, in the beginning of Ephesians 3, uh, we saw Paul just give a digression from beginning to pray to, to talk about and to make sure that they understand that this gospel, that what he's talking about, the good news of God's plan for this world is better than we think it is. It's, it's better. And, and second, that, that we can have confidence that his church is, is moving that plan forward. So that was last week. How many of you were here last week? Just show of hands. A little accountability. Okay, great. All right, so not many of you. Um, so I encourage you to, to go back and listen to that message um, because this is a, a continual pattern of thought. And, and so we can't spend nine hours going through all of Ephesians. So we're, we're breaking it up week by week. But it is, it is a flow of thought because now we're coming to Ephesians 3, verse 14. And if you remember last week, we saw that he says the same thing, for this reason, for this reason, and then he's going to pray. Now, if you know the book of Ephesians, in chapter 1, Paul also prays. There's something about the magnitude of what Paul is, is writing to these people that he feels the need to, to let them know that he's praying for them. Particularly, he's praying that they would understand, that they would fully grasp, that they would experience all that he's talking about. That's significant. And so we're going to look at this, this prayer together today. I, I'm excited to preach this. I, in preparing this week, I did feel my, my inadequacy um, in this path. This is, this is a great passage of scripture. I mean, all of scripture is awesome. This is a great passage of scripture, and, and I feel it's very important for our church in particular. Like, I'm glad that we're looking at this passage today, all right? So let's pray, and then we'll, we'll study this passage. Father God, we thank you that it, we do not trust in our own might. Uh, we do not trust in our own ability uh, but we trust in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We trust in his strength and his sufficiency. And so, Lord, we come to your word, and, Lord, we're, we're all over the place. Some of us are ready and engaged. Some of us are thinking about lunch. Some of us are distracted by the cares of our life. And, 
God, I just pray that you would center our attention for the next 35 minutes on your word, on what you have said to us, of the promises that that you give to us. Lord, be glorified this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many of you know that God answers prayers? He does. He, He answers prayers. Prayer is not some cruel joke. Uh, when, when we say thoughts and prayers, although that may, may be cliche everywhere else, when a Christian says that, I, I'm praying for you, my prayers are with you, that means something. It, it means that, that we are going to go before the throne of God and, and he, we expect that not only he's going to listen, but that he's going to, to answer our prayers. He's sovereign and knows everything. He also answers our little feeble prayers that we pray. Now, as a pastor, you ask questions a lot of times. People ask at times, have asked me, how does that work? My answer is, I have no idea. I don't know. God knows everything. He's influenced and impacted by our prayers. I don't know, but they're both in Scripture, and I do know that God answers our prayers. I know that it works. His his promise in Scripture is that he answers our prayers. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Matthew 7, 7. 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says, and this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. That's in your Bible. God promises to answer our prayers. I was with Charlie Romero a couple weeks ago, and as people have been praying for our family, and for Jack in particular, he was remarking to me that we give them prayer requests, and he sends them out to a group, and he was just saying, yeah, I look back, and every single one of the prayers were answered. And, and we, were, we, were, we were celebrating that fact. God answers prayers. But how little we pray. If I were to compare the amount of time that you spent on your phone versus the time you spent in prayer this past week, my guess, like me, is that they would be vastly disproportionate. How much of your and my life is fretting and worrying instead of praying? How often do you try to fix your life through your own understanding instead of acknowledging God, that he is in control? How often do we doubt that that God is actually going to listen and act, and this is what we do. We pray with so many qualifying remarks that we're really not asking for anything. Prayer is important. It's, it's vital for a Christian, for all of us. And, and prayers in Scripture are, are amazing gifts because this is what God wants us to pray. 
If you've ever wondered, am I praying what God wants me to pray? Am I praying his will? Well, go to scripture. There's prayers in scripture. God has said, this is my word to you. So we can pray these prayers pretty confident that God wants us to pray this. Like this is, this is, this is what he wants us to pray as a Christian. And so this prayer from Paul is going to teach us and instruct us in how to pray. Not the only thing we pray, but a significant prayer to the Lord. And here's what I think it says. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, invites us to ask for spiritual strength and power. Spiritual strength and power. Now, if you were here last week, in verse 12, we we mentioned that Paul says, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So he's coming to the throne of God with that boldness and access in view. And, And Paul gets down on his knees and prays. Prays to God. And so we're going to consider what he prays and how we can now pray because he is recognizing that there's a strength that only God can provide for us, which is actually great news for us, right? This means that we don't have to rely upon our own strength to walk out the Christian life. Like Paul is setting an example that, yeah, you're not going to be able to do this apart from God's grace, and particularly just asking him for grace and for power and for strength. So that's what we're going to do. So if you need strength this morning, if you feel weak, if you feel weary, feel discouraged, here's a great prayer for you to pray. And so we're going to look at three things. Um, the first is strength to be God's dwelling place. Strength to be God's dwelling place. So this is, this is one of the things that Paul and the Lord invites us to pray. Now, he begins with for this reason. Now, if you remember, chapter 3, verse 1 also says for this reason. And so he's, he's looking back on what he just wrote and he's saying, yeah, for all of this, now I'm going to pray this. Well, what is he referring to? Well, if you look at chapter 2, verse 19 through 22, this is what it says. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So what he's saying is, Where the presence of God used to be confined to this restricted area, the Holy of Holies in the temple, now, is part of the amazing mystery of the gospel, now that that presence is in us. It dwells in us through his spirit. And, And he's growing you and I and our church into a suitable dwelling place, a a place where God can can be present. God has chosen not just to dwell with his people, but in his people, which, which is incredible. And, and so Paul, in light of that, he prays. And, and I think that's a very suitable 
prayer. It's an appropriate prayer. That's, that's an amazing reality. And so he begins in verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So the people would have understood that that naming, this, this idea of, of God naming every family, it, it wasn't just an opportunity to, to pass on a family name or, or ruin your kids for life, right, with their name. Naming was, was the giving of an identity. And, and so Paul is acknowledging that God owns every family in heaven on earth because, because he created them. He created Everything. So he's, he's sovereign over everything. He is in control. His fatherhood extends to, to everyone. And so then he begins to make his request. Verse 16. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So Paul's prayer is that God would grant us to be strengthened with power through his spirit. So this this power is God's mighty strength, his capability, his ability to to act in the world, the force with which he operates. And, And God's power is a mighty power. Can I get an amen? It's a mighty power. He's already talked about God's power when he prayed in chapter one. He says, the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So this is resurrection power. And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. That's power. God's power is powerful. God's power makes Samson and Matt Fraser, CrossFit reference, uh, look weak, right? God's power makes the might of ancient Rome and all of the empires over history and the United States look like kids making kingdoms with Legos, right? God's power is greater than, than nuclear bombs. It is more impactful than any power that we know. That's God's power. It accomplishes what it sets out to do. And nothing can change it. Nothing can weaken it. Nothing can thwart it. This is the power of God. And so Paul prays that we would be strengthened in this power. Now in order for that to happen, we need the spirit of God. We can't just conjure up this power on our own. We need the spirit which enables us, he enables us to be strengthened with God's power. His presence in our lives as Christians helps us to grow strong in the power of God. He's, he's kind of like, he, he increases our capacity, if you will, to, to be strong, to experience God's power. Now this power of God is experienced in your inner being. That's what, that's what Paul says. So, so while God's power is expressed in 
the physical world, right? We can see physical displays of God's power. Here, Paul is praying about what, what can happen in our inner life as a Christian. So, so this prayer does not mean that you'll be some superhuman, right? Some marathon running, CrossFit joining, uh, triathlon competing person. No, <laughs> sorry. This prayer is for something else. It's, it's for power to be known in our, in our inner being, in our, in our hearts. How much time do you and I spend craving, pursuing, obsessing about our physical health instead of our spiritual health? Now, don't get me wrong. Please, don't hear what I'm not saying. That's all good. But what this text is telling us is actually really good news because it means that we can be strong in the power of God even when we're weak physically. That they're not the same thing. God's definition of strength is, is different. Our circumstances and our health don't determine the power of God working in your life. That's good news, friends. I know many of you are in difficult situations. Friend, hear this. If you have chronic illness, you can experience the growing strength of God's power in your life. Your body can be falling apart and you can experience increasing strength. Your life circumstance can be difficult and draining, and your spirit can be soaring. That's the power of God in our inner being, in our hearts. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17 says, though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For the slight and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That's God's power in our inner lives. So what is that power doing? What, what's the result? What's the effect? What's its purpose? Well, verse 17 tells us it's so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that he may have a lasting home in your life. That's the power of God at work in us. Now this word dwell, it's, it's a permanent word. Right? Dwell is not hotel room. Uh, dwell is home. It's, it's permanent dwelling place. And, and so our prayer is that God, by his spirit, working in great power, would allow Christ to more fully dwell in our hearts. That, that we, we, would, we would feel his effect as he directs us and changes us and matures us and grows us. And it's this daily presence of Christ in our hearts that sustains us and strengthens us and, 
and purifies us. God wants us to pray for his power to be present in our lives, that our hearts might increasingly be directed and controlled by his ways and his purposes. There's a quote by John Stott. It should be on the screen. It says, Paul prays to the Father that Christ by his spirit will be allowed to settle down in their hearts and from his throne there both control and strengthen them. Have you ever prayed for this? For, for God's power to work in your heart so that Christ may more fully direct and control you? That's what Paul is inviting us to, to pray. Because Christ dwelling in us has effect. It, it increases our faith. It enables us to fight our sin. It enables us to love the unlovely. It gives us strength to pray with perseverance. That's the power of God in our hearts. And he will do it. This is what God invites us to pray. His great power at work in our hearts. So, strength to be God's dwelling place. Second request here that we find is strength to comprehend God's love. To comprehend God's love. Look at 17 in the second half. It says that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now, if you've heard Mike Bellamy preach, he says, oh my. And I'm going to say, oh my. This, this, is, this is amazing. Um, God invites us to ask for strength, and strength this time to comprehend the limitless boundaries of God's love, of his goodness towards us. This prayer demonstrates to us just how vast this love is. Um, your and my comprehension and understanding of God's love right now is not enough. We, we don't truly comprehend it. We, we don't just understand God's love when we become Christians and then move on. No, God, God says, no, you actually need me to be able to comprehend in increasing ways how much I love this world and how much I love you. That, that's what he's asking us to pray. Now, in order for this to happen, the text says we are to be rooted and grounded in love. So, so what does he mean? Paul says that the love and assurance that the Ephesians have received through Christ in their hearts, so what we just talked about, the result of that is not apathy. It's not inaction, but no, it's the foundation upon, then we, we go higher and deeper into our understanding and experience of God's love. So, so those who have grown the roots of salvation and God's presence now reach for, for greater heights to understand God's love. Those who have a foundation of love now build a life and, and a church that's ever captivated 
by God's love. So as we are rooted and grounded in love, love that God has shown us, now we can build off of that to go higher and, and, and deeper into the, the love of God for his people. Now Paul uses four dimensions to communicate the vastness of God's love. So he says the breadth, in other words, how, how wide this love is. The length, how, how far his love goes. The height, how high his love goes. And the depth, how deep his love goes. What's his point? God's love is bigger than we could ever imagine. It's, it's limitless. We were talking about this scripture in preparation. I was actually just trying to get people's help in my community group in order to preach this past Tuesday. And one of the points that someone made is that in scripture, there are, God is very specific about measurements. Right? So if you read the Old Testament and all the specific dimensions and measurements of the temple and the Holy of Holies and the things that are being made, and then you go into the nation of Israel and there's specific dimensions about how big their kingdom is going to be, and then you look into heaven and you see this, there's dimensions to the new city of God coming down. Uh, the love of God... There's no measurement. It, it's limitless. That's the love of God. Now, how do you measure the love of God? How do I measure the love of God? Is it based on what happened yesterday? Or, or defined by one experience you've had? Do you measure it based upon whether he answers your selfish prayers for more things or whether he does what you demand he does? God's love is bigger than what we think. Now, why is it so amazing? Well, here's why. It comes from a God who doesn't just decide to love. It's, it's not something he merely acts on, but scripture says that he is the source of love. John says God is love. He, that's his being. The, the existence of love as we know it comes from the source that is God. He is love. And so this perfection of love exists in the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit perfectly loving one another. That is the, the perfect relationship of love. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And do you know what God has done? He said, you, unlovely, dirty, rebellious, weak, finite, I want you to 
come in and experience my perfect love. The love that the Trinity has in perfection, that's the love that we are invited into experiencing. Jesus says this, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, praying to the Father, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. So the the perfection and greatness of God's love is due to its source, not our comprehension. That's why you don't have to wonder if you've kind of reached the end of God's love. Right? You can only see so much sin in your heart. Yes, Jesus died for my sins. Great, hallelujah. What else? No, friend. No. God, in his perfection of love, means that you and I will never come to the end of it. We, we will never exhaust the riches of it. God's love is a perfect love. You cannot compare it to any other love. I don't care what love it is because every love we know is from finite sinful people. God is perfect and he is the source of love and his love is expressed to you and me in saying that I'm going to call you and stop you from your path to hell And I'm going to bring you, not just to be not guilty, but as Eric says, to bring us into the family room of God. And this family room is where we look around and we say, what? I'm here? God loves me this much? Scripture and poets and hymn writers have tried to capture God's love, and yet there there are no words. Psalm 103, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Psalm 108, 4, for your steadfast love is is great above the heavens. There's a hymn called The Love of God, and it says, Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. A new hymn that we're going to sing in a minute says, What tongue could tell my Savior's love? What song of angels could describe? Could endless praises be enough to echo full his sacrifice? How worthy is the Lamb of God beyond all might or skill of pen? Still we confess and strain towards such mystery and magnificence. My Savior's love. This is 
The love of God, it's, it's beyond comprehension. And so friend, this is where it's so important for us to understand. You don't understand the love of God. I don't understand fully the love of God. We need to more and more and more and deeper and deeper and deeper ways know the love of God for us. We need to pray. We need to ask God that he would give us strength to comprehend this glorious richness of God's love. Your and my limited view of God's love needs to be expanded and deepened and blown away. Because when you know that God loves you, it changes everything about your life. We need to be in situations where we see the love of God and we say, wow. We need to cry tears of joy. We need to shout shouts of thanksgiving and celebration. That is the love of God. It's limitless. Paul says it surpasses knowledge. There's a way to miss God's love because we're content with the information of God's love, knowledge of it. D.A. Carson says this, this should be a slide. We may think we are peculiarly mature Christians because of our theology, our education, our years of experience, our traditions. But Paul knows better. He knows we cannot be as mature as we ought to be until we know this love that surpasses knowledge. So if you want to be a mature Christian, you should not be content with information about God's love, with a past experience of God's love. But no, you should pray and cry out to the Lord that he would help you to comprehend in fuller and deeper ways his love for you. That's how to be a mature Christian. You're not mature if you understand God's love you're able to explain it in great detail to someone else. Now, you're a mature Christian if you revel in the amazement of God's love for you. And if you're leaning forward, if you're desiring, if you're expecting for greater views, greater vistas of his love for you, and so could it be that for you and I, our current lack of experience of God's love and power has to do with the scarcity of our prayers, that this would happen in our lives? How often do you and I pray that we would understand and comprehend this limitless love and, and power Now we're to do this with all the saints. So this isn't just an individual exercise. There, there's a fullness 
for you and I in experiencing God's love as we gather together to consider the love of Christ. And this is one of the reasons why the weekly Sunday gathering is so important in your life. It's not because music is amazing or the preacher is amazing or anything. It's because God has given it to us as a way for us to more fully understand the love of Christ, for you to more fully experience the love of Christ. You need people around you singing. You need a preacher preaching. You need people praying. You need songs that we can sing together. We need all of these things, and God gives them to us as graces so that we might more fully experience the love of God. And how many of you know that a community built in God's love is an amazing community to be a part of? And you will see and actually experience God's love through people. God uses people to show you just how much he loves you. So it is a community exercise to experience the love of God. And so friends, pray that your friends might experience the love of God in deeper ways, in fuller ways. Let that be a common prayer in our midst. Not, man, would you help them not be so proud and arrogant and selfish? How about, man, help them to revel in and experience your love for them. How might that change our, our community? Now, we don't have time to walk through what the fullness of God is, but if, if, as we go through Ephesians, it, the fullness of God, and, and Paul uses this language a lot, is, is spiritual maturity. In other words, it, it's what God wants us to be. It's to be built into something, to, to be fully what, what God has, has made for us. So that is the, the effect of, of God's love dwelling in us. So now, quickly, the final thing that, that Paul shows us and invites us to, to consider uh, is confidence in God's strength. So Paul's prayers remind us that God's supernatural power is what we need in this life. More than a job, more than your health, more than a partner, more than money, more than stability, more than a house, more than the affection and approval of people. No, we need, we need God's power in our lives. That's what we need. And so he ends with this benediction that reminds his readers and God reminds us that it's God's power that's going to accomplish this. It says, now to him, God, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. So do you get this? <laughs> Paul's trying to use language to communicate. You don't get it. God's power 
and his greatness and his love, like it's, it's way beyond what we understand. And so now, even though I've tried to communicate the greatness of his power, the greatness of his love, now let me remind you that God is able to do far more abundantly than anything that we could even ask or think. He's, he's working according to the power at work within us. God is the one who's doing this. He is not limited in his ability, his wisdom, or his plan. So don't limit him in your prayers. Don't limit God. Ask with faith. Ask with confidence. Let us go before the throne of God and pray that we would experience these things together. And so Paul ends telling us that because God is the source and the one who's working these things and the executor of his plan for this world, he gets the glory. He receives all the glory. We are not on a self-improvement mission. These prayers are not for the purpose of a self-fulfilled life or self-worship or us just getting what we want. Now these prayers and the effect of these prayers are so that God may receive the glory that he deserves. The glory that he is worthy of. And so our individual lives where Christ dwells in us and we revel in God's love for us. And our church, as we seek to do these things together, is a burning testimony to the light of the glory of God. And so it's to him alone be the glory and the honor and the praise that as our lives and as our church reflect some of these things, the host of heaven and non-Christians and this city might look and see and give glory and honor to God. That's what God is working to accomplish in this world and be sure that God will be glorified. He will receive the honor forever and ever. We are a part of his great working in this world. And so that should give us great confidence. We're praying what God calls us to pray. It should also humble us that this is about us being grateful recipients of his love. And so Redeemer, let's be a praying church. Let's Let's have words of confidence be our prayers and our cries. I loved, for those of you who were at the members meeting last week, just how many confident prayers there were. And let's increase in that. Let's be quick to go to the Lord in prayer. Not just for circumstances, 
but that we would experience these things in greater ways and watch our church be transformed as we seek to glorify the Lord together. Amen? All right, let's pray together. God, we, we ask with confidence that you would be glorified in our church. Lord, we are not content. We are not content with our current understanding our current experience of your power and your love in our lives. And so, Lord, we ask for more. God, I ask for more. Lord, I pray that your presence, Christ's presence, would dwell in our hearts in more full and rich and deep ways, God. I pray that our inclinations, our thoughts, our bents would be to glorify you, to honor you, to celebrate you, to obey you, And God, help us to grasp what is ungraspable. Lord, help us to deepen in our awareness and experience of your incredible love that you have given to us. Lord, we are not deserving of your love. And yet you've given it to us. And you continue to again and again and again and again. Show us, deepen our experience. Lord, let us have great confidence that you love your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.